Hella Black, episode 120. You know, for this one, we got a special pod for y'all. Uh, a few weeks ago, myself and Yemi, uh, who was director of ops for People's Programs, we, we did a panel um, for the Alameda Food Bank. You know, the food bank has played a, a big role in us being able to, you know, both launch and sustain our, our biweekly uh, grocery program for People's Programs. You know, so definitely want to acknowledge their efforts uh, and appreciate their support. On the panel, Yimmy and I wanted to drive home the importance of, of decolonization programs and the role that they play in new African sovereignty and, and ultimately freeing all oppressed peoples from uh, Western capitalist imperialism. Uh, and so as always, don't forget to spread the work of people's programs in Hella Black Pie. You know, y'all go ahead and give us a five-star review. Um, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Hella Black Pie. You know, hopefully y'all y'all dig this. You know, y'all gonna peep who uh who speaks for the people and who speaks to the funders. Free the people, free the land. Um, if we could go around and if you could um, each introduce yourselves to our audience and tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, your organization, and, and the work that you do. So, um, Candice, why don't we start with you? Awesome. Um, good afternoon. My name is Candice Elder. I am the founder and executive director of the East Oakland Collective. I am also a East Oakland native, born and raised, and um, blessed to still be here. East Oakland Collective, we do racial and, and economic equity work in deep East Oakland. And for us, that is from High Street to the San Leandro border. We feel that it's one of the most under-resourced under um, areas of um, Oakland, um, but it's still where you will find the highest population of African-Americans still left. And we are trying to avoid uh, displacement, further displacement and gentrification um, of our people. And we do work in civic engagement and leadership, economic empowerment, um, neighborhood and transportation planning, and homeless services and solutions. And kind of what uh, brings us here today is um, how we have been inspired and shaped by our, our ancestors, those who um, were here before us and paved the way with, with the racial um, and social justice work. Um, and in particular, in the food justice um, space. So we are a happy member of the Alameda County um, Food Bank, and we have been in the food justice space for since inception um, over five and a half years ago now. Thank you, Candice, and appreciate you again for uplifting the ancestors and all your work, and, and again for being here with us, community with us. So, um, uh, Yemi, would you like to share next? Introduce yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, my name is Yemi Belichu. Um, I also was uh, born and raised here in Oakland. I've been working with people's programs for around since 2018. Um, I started out as a volunteer and then moved into a more organizing position, um, leading out our logistics, um, planning across all of our programs. Um, and People's Programs, formerly People's Breakfast Oakland, um, we were founded in 2017 uh, by Delency and Abbas. And our organization has grown 
um, from, you know, initially doing uh, food distribution, hot food distribution, which we still do, um, to having several programs. And that's another reason why we work with Alameda Food Bank, several programs that address food insecurity here in Oakland, including um, our grocery delivery program and our garden program, um, both that are working in West Oakland. Um, and we've been doing those two, those programs for about the last two years. And so that's how we've you know, started connecting with the food bank. Um, and for us, what's really important, and I'll let Delancey also add to this, but you know, we are about independence and autonomy for our people, right? Um, we believe in self-sufficiency. Um, and that is the most important thing. And we'll get into that, obviously, as we continue to go through these calls. Thank you, Yemi. Also, appreciations for, for spending time in community with us. Delancey? Hey, what's going on, y'all? Uh, I'm Delancey. Like Yemi said, I co-founded uh, People's Breakfast Oakland, which is now People's Programs, with the boss Takim in, in 2017. Uh, so I serve as the co-founder and the co-chair. Uh, like Yemi said, we run a, a number of uh, decolonization programs here in Oakland, right? Yemi talked about sovereignty, autonomy, self-determination. Um, and we bring that to life through our decolonization programs. Uh, decolonization programs uh, is a term coined by former Black Panther and uh, Black Liberation Army veteran Jalil Muntakeen, right? And these are the programs that uh, are designed to meet the material needs of the people while we raise their consciousness uh, and create the conditions for the eventual armed struggle where we uh, free the people and free the land through the seizing of the means of production and distribution of wealth, right? And so uh, that is what we do here at People's Programs. And, it's an honor to be here. You know, I wish we had more time because uh, so much of the stuff that, that we'll highlight for our organization is uh, centuries in the making, right? And so I encourage um, anyone who was inspired by the things that we talk about here today in this panel to check out uh, Hella Black Podcast, which is the one sector of our political education wing and people's programs. And I'm also drop a link to uh, our blog, which has some writings on the ideologies, philosophies, and scientific methods that govern our organization. And so I uh, want to shout out the Food Bank. You know, I remember some of those early uh, early calls, I think in like 2020, when we were looking to launch our grocery program. Uh, and the, the Food Bank has played an essential role in our ability to distribute groceries to places like Acorn Projects uh, twice a month. And so, like I said, it's just an honor to be here. You know, hopefully folks learn something. Thank you for that, Delancey, and, and, and to all our panelists. We, we really appreciate um, and value our partnership uh, with y'all and the food bank and, and, and realize there's so much opportunity to learn from y'all. So this is the, the intention behind this conversation for us to really dive deep into the thinking behind your work um, and understand how that, how that could reshape how we envision ours uh, and work together for those, those common goals, those struggles, as we said. So um, in, in that spirit, um, you know, while we celebrate Black History Month, um, you know, I, Personally, as a person who doesn't identify as Black, but constantly strives to be in solidarity and community uh, with Black people, I feel it's important for me to not only learn about Black history in this month and beyond, but to really understand my place as an individual uh, with that, within that historical struggle for Black liberation and my role and responsibility in contributing to advancing the struggle. So, um, you know, food banks often credit their existence to the Black Panther Party and their survival programs. Candace, you recently hosted uh, Feed the Hood, 
a large food, uh, large scale food and supply distribution to unhoused folks in conjunction with the second annual Love the People block party, where you help distribute free groceries from the West Oakland Mural Project, the home of the first mini museum and mural commemorating the women of the Black Panther Party. Uh, Delancey, you co-founded, as you said, People's Programs, originally, originally under the name People's Breakfast, um, the term from uh, that the uh, um, Panthers use for their program. Uh, and Yemi, you oversee the operations for the many community programs um, your organization has built. Um, so, so can you describe the journey that, that led you to the, the founding and, and joining of your organizations um, and the work that you do and how much influence did the legacy of the Panthers and other historically Black-led organizations and leaders have on your journey? Um, so I'll open it up to whoever who would like to, to share first. Um, sure, I'll go. And um, excuse me, I have my dog in the background. So I was like, let me go. Let me hurry go first before she starts barking because <laughs> she just was. Um, so I founded um, the East Oakland Collective in January of 2016. Um, I've always been, you know, organizing has been part of my, my history um, as a high school student, as a, a college student. Um, and it was really important to me to give back um, to the neighborhoods that I grew up in. And um, when I started to become more politically involved, um, particularly at the hyper-local level, I just noticed around me, there wasn't really a lot of young folks, you know, folks under the age of 40 um, participating um, in, in government, participating in, in politics, um, you know, and it was like, because, you know, we felt politicians, you know, didn't, didn't really speak and represent us, you know, but I was like, let me create a space where we can pull up a chair, you know, to the table, um, have a seat at the table or make our own table, right? And to, you know, see and, and do so in a time where the demographics um, are changing in, in East Oakland, you know, East Oakland might just be swept right from under us, you know, um, if we don't take action. Um, and who best to do it than new new leadership, you know, and and young adults, you know, um, millennials, you know, um, who have a lot of innovation, a, a lot of uh, creativity. Um, so I founded the East Oakland Collective um, to drive change, um, to make a difference and a dent and make impact in racial and economic equity. And EOC, we have, um, been good at pivoting to address the community needs. Um, so, and food has always been at the forefront for us, whether it's breaking bread, you know, whether it's um, culturally relevant meals. Um, we always, you know, had food at our events, you know, it was, it's a way to connect people, but, you know, with the kind of like with the homelessness crisis really kind of exploding, you know, in, in front of our eyes um, in 2017, um, we, we started, you know, wanting to feed our people more, you know, so we always did it as a community service component to our organization. Um, but when we talked to our folks, our most, our black and brown folks who are living curbside, we heard that no one 
cares about East Oakland? You know, no one's coming down here, you know, not, not a church, not a government, not, not a, a youth group, you know, um, they felt like in East Oakland that a lot of the attention was going to the West was going to downtown Oakland as far as resources, you know, um, so on a pure resources base, um, it was the people who said, come back. You know, we want we want the supplies, we want the food. So that's when we started fundraising. And like before any government funding, before any in-kind donations from any larger agency, any another nonprofit, any other social group, it was the community giving us five dollars here. It was a community, you know, um providing cans. It was local restaurants, you know, donating um food at the end of the day that allowed us to be able to, to feed people. You know, we uh, started a program called um, Feed the Hood. And since September, since, since its launch in September 2017, you know, have provided over 50,000 um, bag lunches. Um, now because of COVID, we, we have turned to just providing prepackaged um, hot meals. Um, we have distributed, you know, over thousands and thousands of, pan, of um, pounds of fresh food, food that we were driving to um, the South Bay to, to pick up. And this is leftover uh, food from tech companies. There's a lot of actually food waste. And I'm glad to see that there's been a, um, over the last few years of evolution of food recovery, you know, programs and companies um, trying to be more socially responsible and not waste food and actually donate it and, and distributed to the services, you know, um, that needed to get it to the people, you know? So, and we, we it, it's, it's by design, you know, it, it was, it's manifested. It, it was, this path was already built for us because the Black Panther Party had, I believe it was like over 50, you know, programs, you know, survival programs for the, the community and um, food, addressing food insecurity was one of the major components of those programs. You know, the breakfast, the, the, the grocery programs, you know, and the Black Panthers did it without any government help. You know, it was the government that later, you know, co-opted, you know, the Black Panther Party's survival programs and then made it their, their own but the Black Panthers drove them to that point. You know, they educated them. They showed them that yes, our school children need breakfast in order to actually have a good day at school, to be able to think, to be able to have a clear mind. Yes, um, you know, our families are struggling sometimes to put food on the table. So we need to address that by having free, free groceries. You know, so the Black Panthers paved the way for all of us to, um, to, to do this work. Yeah, thank you for sharing sharing a little bit about your story, Candice, and and also appreciate you uplifting, you know, the, the community led effort and, and the difference between that and you know, kind of the the whitewashing of co opting that has happened um, uh, of these programs as they as they kind of make made their way into to mainstream um, society and our in our government and in our institutions. So, um, so yeah, uh, Delancey and Yemi, if you, if you could you know share a little bit about your, your journey that led you to your organizations as well and, and, and the influence of, of ancestors and um, other his, uh, historically black leaders. I think maybe I could uh, give some background on what led to the, the founding of People's Breakfast Oakland and then Yim could 
uh, share what drew her to our work and how she ended up in the role that she's in right now. Uh, so I would say Huey's, uh, Huey's writings from Revolutionary Suicide and To Die For The People had a direct, played a key role in uh, Abbas and I founding PBO, right? Um, I want to say it's a revolutionary suicide. He talks about uh, when him and Bobby, when Huey and Bobby decided to get off the campus and uh, to organize the, brother, the brothers on the block, this is where they saw a real both uh, qualitative and quantitative shift in their material impact, right? And what they were able to do in some of those early things like getting a stoplight put up on 55th and Market, right? Uh, and so that, that passage right there uh, pushed Boss and I, right, to, to get off the campus. Whereas we were a part of an organization called the African Black Coalition that did organizing work with, uh, I think, the UC and the Cal State system, uh, with Black students in the UC and Cal State system. It wasn't a lot of uh, actual programming that impacted uh, the, the poor Black folks, right? It was a lot of uh, college campus work, right? And so we decided uh, to, to get off the campus and to go do some. And it was a culmination of us at, at the same time, right? You don't have a hella black podcast without people's breakfast open. You don't have a people's breakfast open without a hella black podcast. Uh, because we were at the time we were recording hella black podcast in West Oakland. Um, we would get done, you know, talking political theory, right? Talking revolutionary theory and go outside and see uh, people sleep on the street, people sleep on the street, right? Uh, encampments that resemble shanty towns in apartheid South Africa, right? Um, and so these are the things that led us to choosing West Oakland to be uh, the place where we ended up uh, setting up, you know, for lack of better words, setting up shop. Uh, because at that time, West Oakland had these huge encampments. I think about uh, under the freeway overpass on, I think that's Sycamore and Northgate, right? This is before Tough Sheds. This is before the Warriors uh, finals appearances where you start seeing them sweep people off on the streets, right? Uh, West Oakland had this high population of these huge encampments. And so this is why we, we chose to set up um, and through, you know, crowdfunding, through trial and error, you know, we go from 2015 doing a program once a month to, you know, at the start of the pandemic doing, doing three days a week, you know, cooking hot dogs, buying McChickens, uh, making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? This is before uh, community kitchens, right? Shout out to Marie and the work that, they, that they've done and supported us, but this is before that existed, right? This is before you get the different organizations popping up uh, with good intentions, right? You, you had us out there, uh, feet to the pavement, putting that work in. So now we around 50,000 hot meals later, uh, thousand pairs of shoes given out, brand new shoes given out, uh, administer free COVID testing before the county, before the city was doing it, right? Uh, and so when it comes to the influence that the Panthers have had on us, uh, the, for an organization like ours, where history is our guiding light, uh, all black and African revolutionaries in their organizations uh, have an influence on ours, right? Malcolm X, Kwame Nkrumah, Jalil Muntakeen, uh, Marcus Garvey, Shirley Graham Du Bois, Sophia Bakari, Asada Shakur, Tupac Shakur, Seko Toure, Kwame Toure, the list goes on. PAIGC, the African Party for the Independence of Guinea and Cape Verde, the organization African Unity, the Universal Negro Improvement Association, the Black Liberation Army, and the Black Panther Party. These are all organizations that play a key role in, play, play a key role in our organization, right? Uh, and I will argue it's not just white, nonprofits that co-opt the Panthers is is black organizations that do it too when they erase the Panthers ideology, right? Uh, people like to forget the fact that for revolution, what that meant to the Panthers was seizing the means of production and the distribution of wealth and shifting from a capitalist state to a socialist state and ultimately communist, right? Um, and so we have to be 
conscious of the ways we invoke the names of the Panthers through uh, these programs when the programs were directly attached to a specific anti-communist, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist, anti-colonial ideology, right? And so that's people's programs in a nutshell. This is the work that governs our organization. Yeah, I can just, I can follow up. And I think for me, it falls along the same lines. Um, I'm, you know, was going to school in LA, moved back to the Bay Area, had a, you know, new Delancey through going to high school together. Um, and I saw the conditions that were happening in Oakland. And, you know, it was an immediate thing to see young Black people who are taking it into their own hands um, aligned with the politic. And I think that's the most important aspect, right? I had been involved in charities before and nonprofits before, but the political analysis to me is what elevated the work, right? It doesn't mean that we're just fighting this to feed meals today. That's an entry point, right? That's an access point to start having conversations to elevate the consciousness of our people. And so I think when I came onto the organization, like that was the true liberation for me was not only that there had been folks like the Black Panthers, there have been folks like Kwame Turek, like folks who were doing this work, um, already who had led that and Jaleel Mutakim um, that had led the, the work already and it was a playbook written for us right and really what is most important is that we follow that playbook and don't allow you know the state and the different aspects to co-opt that because ultimately whether or not the food bank is saying yes we you know give credit to the Black Panthers for starting the food bank that co-optation dealt with was the the end of the Black Panthers here in Oakland right um, and then you see now, I mean, I think this is something that isn't talked about all the time is that, you know, we feed Black Panthers who are on the street and what are the conditions that they're left in while the food bank is continuing to pay the salaries and continue to have these different, you know, organizations that are standing up. And so for me, influence is not the only thing that I would say that they give to us. They the Black Panthers were the people who created the, one of the largest mass Black organizations um, in the modern century, right, to be able to do what they're doing. Um, so I think, yes, I totally agree. And I think for me, what drew us, drew me to the work, obviously being born and raised here in Oakland, I heard about the Black Panthers and knew about the Black Panthers from, you know, you're very young. I remember writing a lot of history papers about them um, and really being obsessed with one thing, right, is the collective power they were able to wield and how they were able to motivate the masses um, to believe in and to fight for their own liberation. So I think influence is kind of like a a, a small word, I think it's the legacy that we hope to uphold um, and continue to speak truth into power with our with our work and action, uh, most importantly in the community. Thank you, I mean, thank you, Delencia. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely gives me pause in terms of just, you know, how we, how we invoke the, the name of, of the Black Panther Party and, you know, any, any um, historical Black leaders in, in in our work and and um, really how do we live into those those theories, uh, not just in theory but in practice as well with that revolutionary framework. So um, definitely a big question for for us as a as a food bank um, and for all organizations, I think, right? It's like what is the really what is our end goal, right? And I think we'll get to that in a moment. But I did want to you know you did Valencia mention um, uh, Huey P. Newton as a big inspiration. Um, for you, so I wanted to just just bring in some of, of his words here, um, and and he said um, we recognize that in order to bring the people to the level of consciousness consciousness where they would seize the time, it would be necessary to serve their interests in survival 
by developing programs which would help them to meet their daily needs. These programs satisfy the deep needs of the community, but are not the solutions to our problems. That is why we call them survival programs, meaning survival pending revolution. Um, so Huey speaks of, of bringing the people to the level of consciousness where they would seize the time. What, what do you envision as the role of, of relationship building and consciousness building, or I guess education in general, like that constant teaching and learning from and with the people? Uh, what roles does that play in, in building the foundations for change that, that is needed in our community and beyond? And, and again, I'll open this to, to any, anybody who'd like to share first. I can go first. Uh, I'm trying to figure out. I see it's a few bullet points on here. So uh, which one exactly do you want me to answer first? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so just the, just if you could comment on the, the role of relationship building and, and consciousness raising or education um, in, in bringing about the changes you like to. That, yeah, that I, I mean, first, how, how from a very practical level, how how are you how do you get the people to see that? Uh, how do you get people to believe in the work that you're doing if you're not in community with them? That's that's first and foremost. How can I, how can somebody tell me they got their best interests at got my best interests at heart or the people around me's best interests at heart and they not engulfed in the struggle with us, right? Uh, and so I think for us as uh, revolutionary nationalists, relationship building, unity, right? That's at the, the foundation of what we're trying to do. Right, the, the the people can't. If you don't relate to the people, the people are not gonna be able to move with you. Right, all the the movement of revolution being a mass movement. Right, it only take everybody, but it take a lot of people. Right, and so you need to have the relationships to get people to to believe and trust you. Uh, and the programming is where you create the conditions for that trust to be built by seeing uh, by by me seeing you feed my granny, by me seeing you uh, watch my kids, by me seeing you bring me food. By me seeing you doing what the Panthers did, coming to my house and tell the pigs to get out, that, that that's going to get my trust, right? Um, and then secondly, the people must understand why we're doing this. And without education, uh, that there is a there is a ceiling for how much we can actually get done. And it's something that uh, we we pride ourselves on and we preach heavy on at, at people's programs, right? Our political education uh, wing is why why you get 118 podcast episodes. Is why you get writings. Is why you get community learning events, right? because we want to get people to understand uh, how this, especially for, for black folks, right? How this reality of our colonial subjugation to white supremacist capitalists has been developed for centuries and what it will take, the centuries of fighting it will take to free ourselves. And so through this education, uh, we raise the consciousness, we heighten the contradiction. And so relationships and, and education is super important, right? The people must understand why capitalism is a backward system. Right. The people must understand why socialism, right, while why the masses owning the means of production and the distribution of wealth, while uh, developing society in a way that's uh, in alignment with the needs of the planet, why this is the way, why this is the way forward, as opposed to ex as opposed to the exploitation of our labor. Uh, the people must understand these things. And as they, again, you, as again, it's working in a connected relationship. Right. As the people see us providing the resources, pulling up, supporting, building, healing, protecting, uh, and simultaneously we teaching them again how we can strengthen this movement, how what the ultimate goal is, right? Those things in conjunction uh, will get us to what we consider revolution, right? Which is 
again, seizing the means of production and distribution of wealth uh, through armed struggle. Like Malcolm X said, if you knew what revolution was, you wouldn't use it so loosely. So loosely. You know what I'm saying? And so we got to be careful with the words that we use. And I would like to touch on them other points at some point, but I'm going to let somebody else talk to political education if they need to. Well, y'all are definitely holding the political education down. <laughs> so I can't, I can't wait to hear what um, people's programs um, continue to do amazing work. Um, yeah, so relationship building is, is very important. Like was, was just said, I mean, you have to be trusted, you know, by the community people, people just because of whatever condition that they're in, just don't accept stuff from just anybody and um, everybody. And, and folks, a lot of our folks, um, particularly folks who are living curbside, particularly some of our folks who are, you know, um, struggling economically have been traumatized. They've been traumatized by society and by handouts and uh, charity and not solidarity, you know, which is a very appropriate, you know, um, theme for, for this conversation. And um, so it's different when you, when you know the struggle, when you look like the people, you know, you, you are serving and in, in the way in which you interact with them, you know, um, so I've slept in encampments, you know, I spent the night in encampments. I, I've hung out with some of my folks, the people that I serve have become friends. They, they are, they're elders, you know, um, and that has made them trust me. You know, um, I've gotten a glimpse into how people are living, you know, I've had to, and to be really just transparent, you know, I've had to, you know, choose between using a toilet, using a bucket, you know, being, being in a curbside community, you know, um, so got a very, and I, I can, you know, I can never still imagine what the full glimpse of what it is, you know, to live curbside, but to be that close to people, you know, and to have that, that small glimpse of it and to be able to, um, you know, see humanity has shaped how we do our programming. There's nothing that, that we do that we don't talk to the people about, that we don't consult with who we are, the people that we, we are serving. We are beholden to the community and they have to be at the forefront, you know? So um, people, there's all type of terms people throw out. People call us like some of us advocates or this or that, you know, but it's not about, it's not about us, you know, it's about the people that we are serving and essentially they should be at the table. You know, so part of our work is to empower those that, that we serve to be able to speak up for themselves and their families. And that's taking us with them, take, taking them with us to uh, City Hall, if that's where they want to be, you know, or, um, you know, protesting, you know, or having a demonstration or wh whatever it is that individuals and communities need in order to kind of like fight for their rights, fight for their existence and their, their autonomy. You know, um, we are here as, a, as an organization um, and really a, a group of us, you know, um, a movement to really to really help folks. And I think that's at the, the, the crux of it is putting the people first. Um, and then knowing that is also part of relationship building is is going to take all of us. Um, and we know um, EOC, we don't work in silos. You know, um, we are particular and about our partnerships, you know, and who we work with, um, because you have to be like-minded, um, you know, um, 
Nancy said it really well that like um, people might say one thing, but people may subscribe to something else, or maybe they don't have the consciousness or the education and uh, might be operating in, in a way that could actually harm the people more than it could help, right? So we have to be, you know, very careful about who you align yourself with when it comes to like working with the people. And, you know, if they are of like mind, you know, and, you know, have, we've grown trust and part in, and we can partner to make more of an impact, um, we are definitely happy to do so. Yeah, thank, thank you, Candice. I appreciate that framework and those, those are really concrete examples of how to, how to build trust and relations with, with folks and bring bring folks along. Nothing nothing uh, about about us without us, as I heard some folks say. But uh, I do want to uplift a question in the chat from Raven. Um, uh, they ask, uh, why do you use the term living curbside instead of calling it for what it is, homelessness? I, I think it's uh, important for us to address that now. Oh, yeah. Um, so I heard directly from people who are quote unquote homeless, that they do not like the term homeless. Um, it's a derogatory term, um, even to a lot of the people that I have spoke with. Homeless is a classic uh, textbook definition. Um, and I abide by what the people say, not what a textbook, not what an agency, not what a, a grant, a funder, you know, um, says, right? So when the people said, we don't like that term, um, you know, we have made our own homes, you know, and people have built beautiful structures, you know, which a city keeps wanting to tear down every chance they get. Um, and so unhoused, we use the term unhoused. Um, we use the term living curbside. We use the term uh, curbside communities because these are communities. These aren't just encampments. Encampments, um, once again, is in another uh, just term decided for people by somebody else. Um, and it's a whole world, you know, it's people form bonds in these communities. Um, so part of this work is changing the narrative, you know. Um, so for as many people that there are unhoused, there's that many different stories about why they are, are unhoused what do they need now and what do they need moving into the future? Um, there's many different stories about yeah, terms. There's, you know, um, there's several different terms um, that I've heard being used, um, but, and, but homeless is definitely not one of them um, anymore. And then curbside, using curbside communities, that actually reflects that, once again, that these are communities, these are people, who have sometimes rules and guidelines in the way that they want to live and commune with each other. Um, some people are, you know, they're forced to actually live this way, but in being forced to live this way because they can't afford the cost of living or they've been evicted and all type of other stuff, um, there's trauma, but being forced to kind of live on, on the street, um, they have built this amazing re resiliency, you know, and community so it's respecting that there are communities out there. Thank you for that, Candice. Um, uh, Yemi, is there anything you'd like to add in terms of uh, importance of, of relationship building, education, or, or the conversation around, around terminology that we use to describe folks living outside? Yeah, I think I can, I can add some things. I think, you know, the reason why we have, you know, political education to me and consciousness raising 
um, is important is right. We're so we're not in danger of making the mistakes of the past, right? We have to understand that this is a system. Capitalism is a system that has, you know, created these conditions for years and years in the making, and it's a legacy that we're trying to continue to lead of the community of the folks who can have fought against that, and they have, right? There has been revolution. There has been uprising. There has been protracted struggle against um, the state, and I think that when we continue to that struggle and we continue to just build organizations that just meet solely the material needs of the people without the political education, not only are we in danger of, you know, continuing to make those mistakes, we're also in danger of collaborating with the state, right, and working with the state and being co-opted by the state. And so when you use, have political education, right, and have that as a cornerstone of your program, you're able to you know, yes, you meet the material needs, you bring the food, you bring the groceries, you do the things that people need, but then, right, like the organization is accountable to the masses, right? And our, our, our accountability is to raise the level of consciousness of our community so then they can take revolution in their own hands, right? We are not as organizers in the belief that like we are separate from the community, that we are organizers, we are community led. Um, I mean, all of us are from this community and it's important that we uphold them. And I think, again, present them with the solution. I think Delancey um, talked about socialism, right? So what is it that we, if we create programs that just feed people on end without a direction, without a pathway, right? We're in danger of saying, it's okay that our people are in these conditions, which it is not, right? And so having to like draw those clear lines of demarcation with the state, with charity organizations that continue to oppress our people, with neoliberals who continue to uh, mask right as they are revolutionaries you can think about you know any black uh, representation politics right we shy away from that and our hope is to say we're bringing you the food we bring you the meals and then we're gonna start talking about why you're in these conditions right they're already folks are aware that their conditions are uh, unfair unfair the only thing we need to do is continue to elevate that and provide the organization and the pathway for folks to take this into their own hands so Relationship building is the cornerstone, right? It's the number one thing that any community organizer, leader, um, person who is hoping to liberate their people needs to do is build a close relationship with the masses, understand their needs and be able to interpret that, um, you know, and make sure that it's an organized effort. So I think they go hand in hand um, and that you don't have an organization without a relationship and then you don't have an organization without a political obje objective. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I mean, it, it does give me um, kind of a reflection in terms of, you know, where we're at in the food bank, the conversation, you know, just as a mature charity model, just kind of really just starting the conversation in terms of how do we address the root causes, right? And, and what it, what does that end goal look like in terms of the solution? So um, I do want to, do want to, to go there, you know, if, um, you know, the food bank, you, you know, see people's programs and other organizations on this call, um, may have similar visions for what we want for our community, right? Um, or the community at large. So, uh, however, the extent of those visions and how we achieve them might vary greatly. Um, and then further, even more so, folks within our organizations might not always see eye to eye. Uh, some of us may envision complete system change, liberation, and autonomy, as Valencia and Yemi, you were, you, were, you were alluding to, while, while, while others might just want something better than what we have now. Uh, and focus their energies on reform and incremental change, you know, winning whatever victories we could win for the people. Um, so I guess, um, you know, are these, my question is, are these visions mutually exclusive? 
um, this kind of incremental change, this reform work, um, uh, and how do we work within these differences collaboratively to, to achieve these goals, even if, if our visions for, for um, our end visions are different. And, and we just may, might just kind of um, have, have in common the goal of just, you know, being better for our community. I was gonna say, it's a very lofty question. <laughs> uh, would it help if I, if I, if I rephrase it? No, I, it's, it's here in chat. Um. I can go unless you want to go, you know. All you, brother. All right. Um, and so, on a, for us as an organization for people's programs, uh, our vision is autonomy, right? Uh, revolutionary nationalism uh, with the ultimate objective of revolutionary Pan-Africanism, right? Which is the total liberation and unification of all of Africa, Africans everywhere, Africans, in the so-called United States, Africans in the West Indies, Africans in Europe, Africans on the continent, Africans in Asia. We want complete, total unification and liberation, right? Um, and so that's our main, our ultimate uh, objective. And again, you should tap in with Hella Black Podcast and uh, the writings from people's programs to get a more in-depth understanding uh, of these uh, ideologies and objectives. Um, but I think, let's say for Oakland, right? My hope is that uh, in like two years, every houseless person can get uh, fed quality meals twice a day, right? And that and this is just like an abstract. I think I, we would need to use more science to really come up with a goal. But if, we, if I wanted to be like an idealist and just say what's on my heart um, and not really use science to guide it, I would say that I want every houseless person to have access to quality food twice a day uh, and that each house should have access to quality foods every day, right? Uh, either free of charge or at the lowest rate possible. And I believe that uh, the people in this call can play a, a, a key role in making that happen, right? It's enough grocery programs, enough distribution programs for this to happen uh, if we choose to analyze, if we choose to organize and analyze, analyze scientifically around these issues, right? And for people's programs, we are ready to be in coalition uh, with anyone who truly believes in meeting the material needs of the people while simultaneously working to put an end to white supremacist capitalist imperialism, right? Now talk about the problem. That is, there's a question about what's the problem? The problem is white supremacist capitalist imperialism. It's the neo-colonial subjugation of new Africans here, black people in the US and Africans everywhere in third world and oppressed peoples everywhere, right? That is the problem. Uh, and so uh, we can guide the ideological development of any organization, of any individual, who, who may not fully understand these, these uh, systems of imperialism, of neoliberalism, of neocolonialism, of monopoly capitalism, right? Uh, if your organization lacks these things, if you as an individual lacks these things, no worries. Don't fret because People's Programs is here and we have enough political education to guide it so that we can be in coalition uh, in an effective way, in a real revolutionary way, right? Uh, and that's the only way that this work can really be done. Because if we align ourselves with people who don't have the same ideologies, at some point our work will become antagonistic. That's just what it says. At some point it will become antagonistic. And so that's my hope for Oakland. I know it's possible. Uh, the only thing that can stop us from doing it is ideological splits. And it's really two sides, plain and simple. You either are for revolution or you're gonna continue to back the capitalist. Um, 
And until you make the claims of being a revolutionary with the practices to back it up, by default, you are on the side of the capitalists. Uh, and so again, if you need a home, you know, people's programs, we, we educating, we building. And so that, that's my hope for Oakland with again, the ultimate objective of the total unification and liberation of all of Africa. Um, EOC's vision for the future and the vision that guides our work is self-empowerment and self-sufficiency and, and sovereignty. Um, we do not want to see our people in the food line for the rest of their lives. You know, we do not want to see our people um, economically impacted. Um, we don't, we do not want to see our people unsafe. You know, um, we do not want to see our people dealing with, you know, uh, lack of access to education, resources, health, you know, you insert whatever disparity there, right? So, um, so although we distribute resources, um, which I think for us, we consider as reparations, re reparating white dollars, white funding, um, giving, putting it back into the community, um, and also donations, you know, putting that back into the community, um, putting tangible resources um, back into the community is just the first and very basic layer of the work um, that we do. Um, the other many, many layers um, include um, programs to move our people to self-sufficiency, which is why we have a lending circle program. You know, and then we want to keep going. You know, that's why we, even though we're leasing, you know, a warehouse right now, we want to own the warehouse, and then we want to open the warehouse, and then we want to open the warehouse to the community, anybody who who needs a space, or anybody who needs X, Y, and Z. You know, as was why we're we want to turn it into a resiliency hub. So we don't just want to pass out food. You know, we want to see more black-owned businesses. We we want to see these vacant storefronts you know, in the major corridors of Deep East Oakland, full of uh, black and brown, you know, owned businesses. So we want to move towards, you know, ownership. You know, we wanna move away from um, just handouts and more towards like empowering our people at the very same time, you know, um, providing the, the basic needs when other, like when when really the the government and either even other bigger agencies should be doing it but we obviously see that there's a gap you know so we are here to fill in that gap and we will always pivot to also address and fill in those those gaps uh, as well yeah thank you Candice. uh i mean is there anything that you you wanted to to share around, you know, this idea about, um, you know, kind of if, if folks have different visions, you know, kind of angles, how is there a way for us to work collaboratively um, uh, to, to kind of achieve some kind of common goals? Um, yeah, I think I can, I, well, I will say that everything that Delancey uh, said is like, you know, what we, what as people's programs believe, right, the ultimate objective for us is, in Oakland at least, is to not only to provide those uh, meals and be able to feed on house people, but to not have 
unhoused people here um, in a city that doesn't have that has more vacant housing than uh, the amount of people living on the street. Right. And I think it is important for us <clears throat> to work in a coalition. Right. Because at the end of the day, we are a small organization's grassroots with limited resources. And in order to support the masses and build an organization that is confronting the state. Right. Which is the ultimate you know, eventual thing that will happen, we need to be able to have that coalition building. But again, the most important thing, right, is that we are aligning politically, that we are understanding what the objective is, that we agree on the ultimate end so that we don't have those antagonistic relationships, which allow for the state to continue to infiltrate our movements and, you know, take us a couple steps, take us, you know, a lot of steps back. So for me, it is at the cornerstone and as people's programs we've attempted right to to build with a variety of folks in this in oakland um and it has been an interesting reflection of you know why folks are into the work why folks are doing this right a lot of people are fine with living you know fine with delivering meals two to three times a day but when it comes to like okay well what's the next step what about organization what about talking about political education there's a hesitancy there um because you know Either they're comfortable in their positions um, or they're unwilling to really understand the, the lengths in which we have to go to, to to really free our people and free the land. And so I think coalition building is important, it's fun, fundamental, but again, it has to be aligned politically uh, with the people who are with the people ultimately and with the politic. Thank you, Yami. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, we could chat um, endlessly, but we're, we are running out of time. And I do want to open up um, some, some space for some audience uh, Q&A. So we do have some, some questions uh, in the Q&A here that, that I'll go to. Um, so feel free to continue to drop them. Um, so uh, this first one here is, um, this is a good one. It's something I think about a lot is, is how do you see the food bank or, or the food banks, food banking approach more broadly upholding capitalism and root causes of hunger? Um, what can be done to shift to a more anti-capitalist movement? Was there that question in the chat? Oh, you just put uh, it in? Okay, for sure. No, it's, it's in the Q&A. Yeah. I'll send it to you. I see it. I see it. Thank you. I think I, I can take a stab at it. I mean, I think for me, it's like assessing why we need a food bank, right, in, in the first place and why we have these divisions. And I think our class differences that require for folks, you know, I think at a basic level, um, every human, right, deserves and is owed as a human right, food, shelter, and all those different things that are needed. So I think we come from a socialist lens when we understand socialism and scientific socialism, you know, we are saying that if folks are provided with their basic needs, right, the, the human rights that they have, we will, you know, have our, our society will look different. And a lot of these racisms and imperialism, all these things can be attacked because the means of production will be owned by the people. And so when you think about why the food bank in its existence, right, it is a band-aid, right, to, to capitalism in, in order to provide food to people who are at the 
at the lowest class in, in capitalism and in socialism, there is no lowest class, right? That's what we're saying. That's what we're proposing. And that's what socialism calls us to say. And I think that's how I would just answer it. Um, but obviously in a capitalist system, um, it, it, it's hard to understand like how you can be more anti-capitalist. I think part of it would be maybe having a politic as a, a nonprofit. Um, you know, moving to understanding why and the causes of why there is a food bank and maybe assessing that as a first step. Thank you, Yemi. And, and Delancey, maybe you could answer that. Um, or, or I also have the question, you know, just, you know, what about folks who, you know, if you say socialism or, or revolution, those, those terms might, might might scare folks, you, even though that, you know, like what what is the, there's a lot of kind of, you know, dis, discussion when we talk about anti-capitalism, particularly in, in nonprofit work. So how do we, how do we get folks to, I guess, um, in the nonprofit world, uh, be able to, to try on those terms maybe a little bit more readily? Um, and, 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 and I guess that that might come with another question in the chat, if, you know, just if we could talk a little bit more about what scientific socialism is. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, we must understand the nonprofit industrial complex as a containment strategy, right? At, at, a, at the basis of it is an attainment, uh, uh, containment strategy, right? You get people with good intentions. Uh, you trap them in an organization where the board is made up of uh, either rich, either folks, either the board is either made up of actual rich folks um, who wholeheartedly believe in the backward system of capitalism, or the board is made up of people who are in allegiance to rich folks who wholeheartedly believe in the backward systems of, of capitalism as the correct system to govern society, right? Uh, and I encourage all of us to do some study on the, the birth of a lot of these foundations in the 70s um, and them being actual fronts for the CIA uh, to contain revolutionary energy of both uh, Black and African folks on the continent, right? So again, understanding the, the basis of the nonprofit structure, right? Um, and what was the second part? Something around socialism. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, the question in the chat was, uh, or in the q and I, I was referring to from George, he says, can you, can you talk more about scientific socialism and the importance of historical context? You, you alluded to that a little bit in the last one, but is there anything yeah. about Yeah, so socialism is uh, diametrically opposed to capitalism, right? Where capitalism is an exploitive system where uh, the wealthy, the few wealthy, own the means of production and distribution of wealth, right? Literally own the means of production, right? The, more, the raw materials, the factories, the labor, uh, and own the, the distribution of wealth. And as a result of this, governing the lives of the masses, what socialism does is it completely flips that. It says that the masses own the means of production and distribution of the wealth, uh, and that society is governed through a real democratic system, not this sham democracy that we see right now where corporations are guiding um, these sham elections, right? This sham democracy. Uh, that's what that's what socialism is, right? And scientific socialism, it's not about being governed by your by your mind, body, and spirit. It's using real science, data, and analysis to guide your decision making to make sure that these programs that we have, this our agriculture, our technology, uh, all all facets of society are being are functioning, are being governed in the most effective way possible, right? It's using uh, reason, logic. And rationality to guide our decision making. Decision making. That's where the scientific element comes from, from scientific socialism. Uh, and in historical context, right, uh, we have to understand that history does not happen at random. Period. History is directly connected to the 
history is a result of causes and effects directly connected to the means of production and distribution of wealth, period, point blank. That's what governs our society. Who controls the land? Who controls the machinery? Who controls the land? Who controls the money? Controls the people, right? That's why you hear Malcolm X saying land is the basis of all freedom. Um, and so history is not random. This is not some, this is all happening by design. And so this is what we have to understand. This is why history is so important. You must know your history. If you must understand who was owning the means of production at this time and how, how that governs society, who owns the mean, means of production and distribution of wealth at this time and how does that govern society, right? And so if we look at, for Africans, for example, uh, and this is not some, uh, some idealistic uh, assessment of African history, but on average, you know, we were a real communal and egalitarian people, right? The, the African's development wasn't at the expense of the other Africans. You know, we might've had smart tribal wars and stuff like that, but what the Euro-American has done to the planet and has done to people in terms of colonial subjugation, no, no one can compare it to that, right? And so for Africans, to folks that's indigenous to this land and our relationships that we've had with one another and the planet, uh, this is why we must get back to our, uh, our true ways, which is that of being communal and egalitarian people, not being, uh, driven by profit motives because that's your whole life is driven by profit motives right now period everything you do even nonprofits, y'all driven by profit motives grants we have to do this for the grant we have to do this for the grant we have to get this data right programming is about the people and so understand your history in the context of uh how it relates to the the ownership of the means of production and distribution of wealth and for all black folks number one you need to identify as african because once you get that through you once you get that through you uh, you'll see a qualitative and quantitative shift and you'll start to get back to your African roots of communalism and egalitarianism. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's historical materialism is the word that we would use, right? Uh, that's the importance of historical materialism and that's the importance of scientific socialism. And for y'all the nonprofits, understand them as containment strategies, understand them as CIA fronts, understand them as uh, passion projects for the wealthy and understanding that you must have an ideology. And if you don't claim the ideology of a revolutionary, by default, you have the ideology of a capitalist. I know that's a lot, but you know. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely a lot to on, and definitely, um, I think really, really empowering for me personally. You know, in, in my journey, in terms of like how I, I'm radicalizing myself and, and positioning myself within the, the the Black liberation struggle. So, so I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I do, I do want to bring, bring Candace into the to conversation, though we do have some more questions in the Q&A, because, you know, I, not, not, to, not to assume where everybody's at in the call, but there, you know, there might be folks, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, where, where you know, um, we're still on our journey for radicalization and learning and really, really understanding what true liberation means and what it takes to get there. Um, so, um, the, the, the basic needs, the, the kind of the, the survival program seems like a good entry point for us to, to, to plug into the movement as we do that in learning and that kind of radicalization. So, so, so Candace, I do want to bring you in the conversation. There, there's a lot of great, uh, amazing victories that, that you've, you've won um, uh, with East Oakland Collective around supporting unhoused folks, particularly around one, one thing I wanted to bring in was, was the basic need of water. Um, so, so could you, could you, there, there's some things that, that we could do in the moment, you know, uh, it, in collaborating with, with the, with the state while, while, you know, kind of keeping in the backdrop what, what, what Delencia and, 
and Yemi were saying around around co-opting and things like that. But could you could you talk about your journey around around securing and winning that basic need for unhoused folks and, and kind of what that looked like it took as a kind of a, a point of inspiration where folks might be able to plug in as they as they as they embark on their journey. Sure, um, definitely. So water um, was just like food and housing um, is a basic human right and it should be a basic human right, but we know um, that it is not a basic human right of, as, a, as a afforded by the government, you know, by um, society. So what East Oakland Collective did was um, help provide water access to curbside communities by advocating um, we had to have our lawyer um, get on it and everything with East Bay Mud um, to uh, change their systems and policies and procedures to allow now community organizations to get a water hydrant meter. And with the, with the water hydrant meter, you can connect it to um, the water hydrants and access the water. Now, mind you, we did have to, we do have to put a filter system on there so to make it drinkable. Um, but with the filtration system and with the longest hose, you know, we could afford, um, we are now able to provide water to curbside communities. Now, people are already um, tapping in to fire hydrants and um, accessing water, but it's not filtered. Um, but that Right, you know, that's a legal offense and we, um, people are being criminalized uh, for it. Um, and so people are essentially being criminalized for the lack of access to water, right? Um, so it was important to us to not only um, have a system to access the water, but to have that system, you know, be something that will, you know, lessen um, the likelihood of our folks being further criminalized because our own fo folks are already highly criminalized in many, many different ways. Um, and then there's a huge, you know, um, prison to homelessness, homelessness back to prison pipeline um, as, as well. So that's what we worked on um, for a year. It took us a year of um, lawyering and um, advocacy with uh, East Bay Mud um, in order to get them to change their policies. And now for the last few months, um, we have been providing water access and we are happy to train um, whoever is uh, interested, dedicated and committed to providing um, this water source. Yeah, Ken, uh, I just wanted to appreciate that, that hard fought victory. And, and it does, for me, you know, call, call to mind the, the you know, the, the, again, the the theme of this podcast of you know the survival pending revolution is like you know how 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 much work you have to put in in order just to secure a basic need that should be available to everybody, right? So so it does speak to the idea of, of this real system change that that is needed um, in in our government systems and at every level of our institutions. So um, we do have. A, I do want to go to another um, question in the chat. It's from Darius. Um, the, the question is: Can folks speak to the revolutionary uses? slash roots of reparations and its relationship to so sovereignty. Yeah, it's a question on reparations. I still can't, for some reason, I'm a, oh, I'm in the host of Canada's chat, my bad. Where's the uh, Q&A chat? It's for everyone or something? Oh, it's like a question. But it's around, it's around uh, reparations, right? 
So yeah. even reparations have been co-opted. That's what we got to acknowledge, right? Uh, y'all should read Jaleel Monkey King's We Are All Liberators. And he talks about reparations, right? Going beyond the whatever equivalence of 40 acres and a mule is in contemporary times, right? It's about anyone who benefited from the transatlantic slave trade paying up. That's what reparations is, right? And so we have to, again, it's been co-opted and uh, turned to this very representation, uh, integrationist thing when for uh, a revolutionary standpoint, reparations is about getting what's owed to us so that we have the material to sustain our sovereignty. It's about giving us machinery. It's about giving us money. It's about giving us land. It is not about black directors. It is not about black CEOs. It is not about black billionaires. It is not about black mayors. It is not about black presidents. It's about land, machinery, money. That's what reparations is about. And again, We Are All Liberators is a perfect book to, uh, to read, to have that full understanding of reparations. And I think we all need to understand neoliberalism. Neoliberalism allows for us to still invest in capitalism while pushing rhetoric of civil and human rights. That's what neoliberalism is. Understand that the privatization of all aspects of society, of education, of health, of economy, strengthening the capitalist system while simultaneously, you know, giving us meals to distribute to the people. That's what neoliberalism looks like. And we have to educate the people. We got to understand these things. So Jaleel is commenting in here right now. So you don't got to hear my, you can hear the words straight from him. Uh, but yeah, that's what reparations is about. Land, machinery, everyone who benefited from the transatlantic slave trade paying up, not them giving us a Kamala Harris, a Barack Obama, a Rihanna, a Kanye, a Jay-Z, whoever is going to be black from Oakland that pop up next. It's not about that. We need land. Land is the basis of all freedom. We need machinery. That's what we need. That's reparations for you. Auntie, um, I, I wanted to, to uplift some comments here. Nice, second for Anti-Capitalist Food Bank. A few suggestions this is in the Q&A. Provide quotes to be appropriate foods, mobile food pantries to go into neighborhoods, so folks without transportation do not need to travel to a warehouse distribution site. Thank you, Denise. Um, there's a, a question here in the chat, this one's for, for you, Candice, uh, from AB, just wondering what um, EOC stance on socialism and pan-African pan revolution is. So, um, you know, just me and myself, I'm doing learning now and, and appreciate the, the thoughts. So I just wanted to, I guess, some folks in the audience are curious in terms of you know, where you're at. Sorry, I have a situation at the front door. Can we move to the next question? Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, let's let's go into how can people support and donate? Uh, we'll, we'll go back to Kenneth on this one, but for now, how can people support and donate people's programs? What needs do you need uh, right now? I can take this one. I think, um, one, if you are a black or an African person, sign up to volunteer, come to our political education, support our programs, get involved. 
If you are a non-Black or African person, donate. We have multiple ways to donate. <laughs> every every platform, PayPal, Cash App, all of those things. Obviously, I think, you know, always promoting our work. Um, we put out, like Delency said, Hella Black, listen to Hella Black, right? Listen to read all of our Medium posts. Um, it's free education for the people, free political education for the people. Um, Jaleel Montakim, who is in the chat here today, is wrote We Are On Liberators. I highly encourage everyone to read that book. Um, it is a guiding text and our, our guiding ideological text for people's programs. So if you want to support and be put on game, you know, we, we definitely have both options. And I think we, we're always building our programs, right? We have a grocery program, we have garden program, we have our hot meal program, and there's prep that goes into all of those. So, you know, sign up, uh, join our organization. If you're out here in Oakland and you're African, um, we have a place for you to, to work with us and to build with us. And if you're not African, the material donations and support um, should be a requirement of, of, of your participation in this work. So I think those are the main ways I would say, Delancey, I don't know if I'm missing anything you want to add um, to supporting us and donating. Yeah, like she said, um, read our stuff, promote our stuff, come pull up and volunteer. You know, although we are uh, pushing this new African independence movement, we serve, we are fighting for all human beings. We are fighting for the planet. Um, and so if you are not Black and new African or of African descent, it's still a space for you to come support what we got going on. We have uh, Latinx folks that are that participate in our political education cadres where we teach them. Uh, this independence movement is an independence movement for all. It's about putting the end to uh, all oppressed people's colonial subjugation. We just we happen to be pushing it from a new African independence lens. Uh, lens. And so, again, even if you're not Black, African, you can still support our work. Um, and I know that we shared a lot of information that could feel overwhelming, but we got a space for y'all to come learn. We got a space. You know, it's not a question we can't answer. It's not a question we can't answer. It's not, it's not a program that we can't plug you into. And so if you're feeling uh, misguided, misled from folks who don't have an ideology, if you feeling overwhelmed by white supremacist capitalism like you should, come tap in with us because we build it. And we guided by the principles of communalism, egalitarianism, right? A revolution. That's what we guided by. So, uh, you know, free the people, free the land, falling on for it. Hey, um, and, and Candice, if you could share, how, how could folks support EOC? What's the right now for you and the community? Um, yes, we, we always take volunteers um, because our, our operations are, are are pretty large and we can definitely not, um, we can't do this work alone. Um, we have food distribution Monday through uh, Friday. Um, we serve hot meals um, every day of the week. And then we do large scale uh, grocery distribution Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's definitely where we need to help. And you, you can tap in, go to our website, eastoaklandcollective.com. We are on all, so, all forms of social media. And then when we have our Feed the Hood programs, which we have about um, every month or so, um, we that's a large scale opportunity, about like 
we take up to 100 volunteers at one time because we try to service as many curbside communities um, as we can. So once again, you can follow us on social media. You can subscribe to our, our newsletter um, by accessing uh, the link on um, the contact us page of our website and you can subscribe and then you can learn more information about when the next Feed the Hood is. Um, and we're also partnering this year more with People's um, Community Clinic and we're gonna have um, pop-up events um, in uh, curbside communities. So we're gonna be offering clothes, uh, they're gonna be offering acupuncture, massages, Reiki, you know, um, hair and, and stylists and barber services, um, nail services, um, stuff for pets, you name it. Um, so we're gonna have more of those this year um, with people's um, community clinic. Right. Thank you, Candice. Um, so so uh, I think well, that's a good place for us to, to kind of wrap up our conversation. Um, just wanted to thank everybody in the audience again for participating in this conversation, uh, as well as our panelists. Um, so, so Yemi, Delency, and Candice, I do want to open up to you last time if there's any um, parting um, messages, uh, calls to actions, words of wisdom, closing thoughts that you'd like to share. Um, please feel to unmute and um, speak them. Hey, I encourage everybody to, you know, ask themselves. This is a question I had to ask myself when we first started doing People's Breakfast Open in 2017, when, it, when we were inconsistent, uh, not really dedicated, you know, doing it because it, it felt good. We felt like we was doing something. The community responded well to it. Uh, but before we had a real ideology and politic uh, guiding our work, we had to ask ourselves if we want to be missionaries or revolutionaries. So you gotta ask yourself, do you wanna hand out meals that you know, the neoliberals won't get behind and prop your work up and uh, you'll be able to get the good job at the nonprofit, the executive job at the nonprofit. You'll be able to get a seat at the table with uh, the, the wealthy of your area, of your locale. And if you're lucky, you might be like the uh, Patrice Colors and whoever else is at Black Lives Matter making the $90 million and no uh, programs that directly impact the material of the people, directly impact the material needs of the people to, to point to. But ask yourself, you wanna be a missionary or you wanna be a revolutionary? Do you really wanna see your people free from under the heel of white supremacist capitalism? If you don't understand white supremacist capitalism, again, I said, that's okay, we can teach you. Uh, but you gotta ask yourself, you gonna be a missionary or a revolutionary? And so that's my, uh, my call to action. My call to action is to do some reflecting on that. Free the people, free the land, follow on for it.